0: Okay, I think we're working now. <laughs> I'll, have, I'll give you guys a few minutes to see if you guys can get over into this video. Um, I had a few problems with the live stream this morning, and I wasn't able to get any audio going, and so the people that were over in that, um, in that stream, I hope that, okay, yeah, here we go. I hope you guys come back over here. <laughs> i see Gray's in the chat now so um yeah hopefully that there was a couple people over there they can figure out to close it out and or, or stop that and then come back over i don't know if when i closed the the stream over there if it like kicked you guys out of it or what but um <clears throat> i don't know what happened my microphone and audio everything nothing was working in terms of the audio i had to unplug everything i couldn't even restart it i had to re un- plug everything and plug it all back in and suddenly for some reason it came back on so thank you all for having the wherewithal to stick with me through my um uh technological incompetence (laughs) so um so i appreciate that because today's a fun paper it's a it's a real quick paper so even though i'm starting a little bit late we'll still be done probably by 11 it's not that long of a paper it's only two pages actually so um so welcome to the turfgrass epistemology youtube and (laughs) podcast um had a little problem little computer problem getting started this morning but we're starting now uh so this podcast is about turfgrass epistemology we're trying to figure out and trying to pursue the the uh the question of how do we know what we know so generally what was what we'll do is we'll go over a, a scientific paper and walk through it, try to explain it in layman's terms as to what the content means and how it can be used and so forth. So if you're looking for um, science to kind of guide you, this is the place to be. So uh, let's let's get started. So the paper we're going to talk about today is this paper here. Let's see if I can, oops, this needs to be closed. I am not very, okay, here we go. Okay, so the date of seeding, a st- a date of seeding affects the establishment of cool season turf grasses by Riker et al. in two thousand. Was this was published in Hort Science. So what we've been talking about over the last week or two is turf grass establishment. Um, it's that time of year. It's it's for cool season grasses. It's that time of year. It's September. We're moving into October here soon, and there's a lot of people out putting seed out. A lot of people fertilizing and watering in these things. And so I thought this might be a relevant topic for this time of year. And so we've talked about nitrogen a little bit. We talked about phosphorus a little bit. Um, n- uh, next week, we're going to talk about phosphorus a lot. There's, I think, I think all the papers next week are phosphorus, uh, applying phosphorus during establishment and what you should and shouldn't do and what rates are appropriate and so forth. So we, we still have a few papers to get through on the, in the world of turf grass, nutrition, Uh, during establishment so next next week's very little to do with nitrogen and a lot to do with phosphorus so on this paper we're talking about when you should apply it um or when you should i'm sorry when you should seed this the 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 turf grass so if you have um if you've not gone out yet with your seed and it's it's september and here and, and whether you're in kentucky or tennessee or minnesota or wherever you're at and you have not yet seeded this paper will hopefully convince you to do it pretty quick. <coughs> and sometime I'm going to get rid of this cop. I hope some sometime soon. Anyway, um, this is a really short paper, really quick. I'm probably actually going to read most of it or go through because it's really short. It's not going to take that long to get through. Um, and so uh, let's get started. So if you this paper is open access, anything in the ASHS, the American Society of Horticultural Sciences, is is open access. So you can go to ashs.org and search all their papers they have, and it's all open access now. They, they've switched that, I guess, some, some years ago to where now anybody can get the um, the the papers for free. So you can not only read the, the abstract, you can get everything there for free. So let's just read a little bit about the introductions to set the set the stage. The optimum time for seeding cool season turf grasses is mid-August through early September, according to um, Beard in 75. He had that. Uh, turf grass seeded at this time will develop a dense stand and will usually withstand the stress of winter in the Midwest. However, construction schedules often require seeding in late fall, winter, or spring. So what he's saying is here is that nor- normally September, uh, late August, early September is a good time to, to seed, but sometimes logistically you can't get it done then. Uh, sometimes you have to seed later. Um, so although dormant seeding ter- of turf grass was mentioned in textbooks, so we're talking about seeding in November december january dormant for for cool season grasses few scientific reports exist documenting the efficacy of seeding at less optimum times of the year okay so right there you you understand what he's talking about normally you'd like to do it in august september but if you can't you have business or you know logistically you're doing something or you're on vacation or whatever the case is and you can't do it till later uh, we need some data as to what will happen when we do it when we do it later in non-optimum times he provides a few citations from um, from the past literature about about this. Um, this 1986 paper reported that dormant seeding Kentucky bluegrass in November was preferable to seeding in December, uh, February, or March in Iowa, but not as effective as seeding in September. So this prior author here found that September was up um, was best. In November, if you had to, was okay, and it was much better than seeding it even later in December and January. Okay. It actually did this over snow in that in that particular study. Hole and forty eight reported that grass grass hole and forty eight reported that survival of seedlings of several cool season grasses was low when planted in later in the fall, but survival of fall and late fall seedings was still superior to that following spring seeding. So in other words, a the hole uh, in forty eight said it, it wasn't great in late fall, but it was still better than the spring. Okay. Um. Okay, we're not going to go into that. It's, uh, fertilization of turfgrass seed beds is common practice. Application of phosphorus increases seedling roots and top growth, especially in soils low in phosphorus. Now, this statement is not um, entirely clear. Don't take that literal. It, it, there are there, Like I've mentioned already, there are, is clear evidence that the application of phosphorus can hasten establishment and increase turf quality even after establishment in, in low-P soils. Very low phosphorus soils are are prone to show a, a response to the application of phosphorus, but in medium to high phosphorus soils, the application of phosphorus during establishment or even after establishment has very little chance of showing a response. So yes, this is true, but be aware they're talking, although they didn't identify it, I'll identify that it, this is specifically in low phosphorus soils, okay? application of nitrogen to seed beds will also improve seedling establishment as long as phosphorus is adequate okay however uh, fertilizing at non-optimum times hasn't been reported the two objectives of the study were to document the success of seeding kentucky bluegrass ryegrass and tall fescue at less than optimum times of the year and to determine if nitrogen phosphorus fertilizer requirements of kentucky bluegrass differ with seeding date okay so right there is the We have three turf grasses. We're gonna, we're gonna, they're going to seed them at different times of the year. And for the Kentucky bluegrass, they're going to look at the nutritional requirements of nitrogen phosphorus during this time. They did this in 1989 and they did this in Indiana. Okay, the research, the agronomic research center in Indiana. The pH, this is, this is always important. The pH was 7.1, the CC was 21, the organic matter was 4.7, and the phosphorus was 90 kilograms per hectare okay so if we do a quick um a quick calculation kilograms per hectare you guys are probably used to seeing uh, parts per million or milligrams per kilogram or something like that when it comes to phosphorus in this particular case he has it in kilograms per hectare now i already know you know that this is rough roughly considered adequate but let me walk you through it so if you if it's in kilograms per hectare and you go it's 90 so i'm good because i know whatever 30 or 40 is probably adequate well that's 30 or 40 parts per million not not necessarily i mean it's you're seeing 90 kilograms per hectare so be be aware of the units so we're going to change kilograms per hectare to um you can do parts per million if you want i don't know if there's a calculator for that kilograms per hectare convert two parts per million. I don't know if they're going to have that or not. <clears throat> um, so it says divide by two, which is, I was going to change it to parts, to pounds per uh, per acre and then divide by two. So let me just, so in this case it says it would be 45, but let's do convert two um, pounds per acre. And we're going to come up with uh, kilograms per hectare is 90. And so the pounds per acre would be 80 point something so 80 pounds per acre of phosphorus and in that case you divide it by two so they said divide it by two as well with the even if it's in kilograms in any case it's 40 to somewhere in the 40 range of phosphorus now they don't give me in this paper they don't tell me the extractant that they used in indiana and in prior research they tend to use the bray extractant I don't know if that's the extractant they used here, but we're going to assume it is, I guess, unless you someone can show me where there's an extract. I've read this. I don't see the extractant they used. But uh, but anyway, we're talking about the medium range, medium to, well, the medium range, 40 to maybe as high as 45 parts per million phosphorus using the Bray-P extractant. I'm assuming that's the Bray-P. Okay. So be aware, this isn't 90 parts per million. It's kilograms per hectare. So you might go, oh, I'm really high in phosphorus. Well, in reality, it's a different unit. So keep we're going to continue. So we're dealing with a, a soil in Indiana that is, by my estimation and opinion, it is m- medium in terms of its uh, a, a soluble or phosphorus extracted extracted phosphorus. So I wouldn't consider that to be low. I wouldn't consider that to be a soil that is likely to show a response to the application of phosphorus, although. Potentially it could, but it's not so low that you would definitely set off alarm bells. Okay, it's, it's in the medium range. Okay, let's, let's see what they did. Percentage of cover was rated visually throughout the study. Crabgrass cover was also rated visually in August. Okay, so they have uh, these grasses. They're putting them out during the, um, well, let's talk about the different months. Se- seeding date times year interactions were also significant. Thus, the date, the data are presented for each year. Remember, in the past, we've talked about when there was no interaction, they pooled the data together. In this case, they're saying there 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 is an interaction, and so they separated the years and showed the years independently. Okay, so species they use, uh, Ram One Kentucky Bluegrass. I'm, I'm I'm just gonna go through here. It doesn't really make much difference to me. So we're seed. What does, is important is this: these grasses were seeded on first of September, October, November, December, March, April, and May. Okay, so the first of the month, on September, October, November, December march april and may they seeded these that's so that's a fixed effect there's they have some plots that have already been seeded by the time they seed the other one and so forth and they're continuing to seed more you know each month immediately prior to seeding nitrogen at half a pound of nitrogen and phosphorus at a little less than a half a pound of nitrogen were applied using handheld shaker bottles to each plot so prior to seeding they gave it a little nitrogen and a little phosphorus for the for the turf grass study or the species study whatever For the fertilizer study kentucky bluegrass was seeded at 96 kilograms per hectare uh on september 1 november 1 march 1 and may 1 so we have a little bit of differences in in the seeding dates for the fertilizer study but it's still september november in the fall and then march and april i'm sorry march and may in the spring here we go here's the nutrient stuff each plot received a starter fertilizer with all combinations of nitrogen and phosphorus rates Fertilizer sources used were 4600, so urea, and a 020 zero. Rates of nitrogen, I'm assuming this is concentrated superphosphate, but that's an odd percentage for that. I don't, I'm not sure what the source was on the phosphorus, but um, it's only phosphorus they applied as for the for the phosphorus. Rates of nitrogen were zero, a half a pound, and one pounds of nitrogen and the phosphorus rates were zero a little less than a half, so maybe a third. I don't know what that number is and I haven't done the conversion. About a third and then about three, about maybe three quarters of a pound of N. <coughs> Okay. And then they say fertilizers, applied to chicken. So, so that's the setting. They have uh, two different nitrogen, or three different nitrogen rates, three different phosphorus rates uh, for the fertilizer study, and then they have several different ter- species of turf at different months for the uh, application date study component or component of the study okay results and discussion we're this is almost we're almost over already this is an extremely short paper this is the last page so we'll, we'll look at some graphs to might have them make a little bit more sense okay seeding kentucky bluegrass on september one produced up to 68 percent cover by december 1st whereas if you waited until the next month october one a maximum of seven percent cover occurred by by december 1st so right that right there and we're going to see this in the graphs, a difference of one month for Kentucky bluegrass resulted in a, in a, a reduction in cover of more than 60%, like whatever it is, 90% reduction. What is that? Let's do the math. 7 divided by 6. We're looking at 90, a 90% reduction in the growth, co- the cover of the plot that would have occurred. So 68% from one, 7% if you waited for a month. That's how, that's how important the timing is for Kentucky bluegrass in Indiana. You don't want to wait until October, November or mid October and go, Oh, it's Halloween and I got to put this out. I forgot, you, you know, you, you, I guess you could, you'll see what'll happen if you do that, but doing it at the beginning of September makes them is a, makes a, a major impact, it has a major impact on the establishment of that grass. Therefore, seeding a slower germinating species like Kentucky bluegrass as early in the fall as possible is essential in order to achieve an acceptable stand by by winter. So he makes makes it clear that you need to seed it early. Okay. Now, here's the graph. The I don't know if I can zoom in on this and it's going to actually stay on the page or not. Let me see if I can zoom. Yeah, I can. Okay. So it, on, right over here we have percent cover and it says effect of date of seeding kentucky bluegrass in the first year and the second year so the top graph is the first year the bottom graph is the second year and the percent of cover in subsequent months so this white bar is when they seeded it in september okay and they did the rating in december okay so all these bar colors are the different months that they they seeded the the grass and the x-axis is the month that they rated them so if you seeded it in September and you rated it in December, you see right here this 58 or whatever, 60, it's hard for me to read that, uh, percent cover, okay? And the other ones are, uh, the uh, this is Kentucky, Blue, uh, and the other month at this point was only October is essentially zero. That's what they just said in the, in the text in the first year. In the second year, they saw something very similar. Okay, I guess this is the 68 and this is the seven that they talked about in the text, okay? The first and then the, let's just say in the first year, the first year, if you seeded it in November, December or March or April, you can see the what happens here when they rated it in May. So if you seeded it in September, you're already at 60, 70 percent cover in May. But if you're waiting, you see that these um, the influence is, is substantial. If you waited just one month. In the first year, you're, you're now I'm radiant. We're in May now. I seeded it in September, the last September. I'm at sixty seventy percent cover. If I waited a month in October, I'm at only forty percent cover. So that's a that's a biologically significant reduction just by waiting thirty days. Okay, and the second year was even more profound of an impact. Okay, you can see the value of, of seeding in September, and the second year was much greater than in the first year. Okay, in the first year, they actually did get eventual full coverage, and it was all equal by august by july and august these were basically all the same okay regardless of what month you seeded it they were essentially the same but in the, the second year september is still resulting in a significant increase in cover relative to seeding in them seeding them later okay so if you've ever heard oh you want to seed september don't don't seed later than october 15th or whatever um that's true I and mean, that this is why because er, the early september the earliest early you get out is the, the better off you are i'm sorry i just gray, i just saw your question <coughs> isn't 21.5 C- cec very high for a native soil i mean it's high yeah um it's not unheard of but you know g- generally things in the cecs and the teens are are you know I would, I would consider 15 16 17 sort of in the high range and this is 20 so 21 so yeah it's high I wouldn't be overly concerned about it. Um, as always, I'm not concerned about any number unless we. I'm convinced that it's actually having an impact on the turf grass that I do not want. In in this case, CEC, you can use it as a piece of information to potentially diagnose issues if they ever come up. Like if, say, you're applying potassium and you're not seeing a response, Well, that that wouldn't even work because high CEC, you're probably going to have a lot of potassium already in, in the soil. But yeah, CEC of 21 is probably on the upper end of average yeah okay let's continue so that was the seeding of kentucky bluegrass by month and you can just really clearly see the value of seeding early but you can also see that you can achieve establishment if you happen to seed late this in the first year you were able to do that and the second year it wasn't so much able to do that okay so this is why we do multiple years because there's a there's a Uh, difference between these two years in terms of establishment if you seeded late if you seeded early you still saw an increase in both years but if you seeded late there's a difference in the second year so um who, who knows what caused that but certainly there is a risk you're running of not achieving full acceptable coverage if you wait after september on on kentucky bluegrass okay you, you all know this, but some people might not. I mean, the, the seed germination rates differ greatly among species. So, like perennial ryegrass will germinate really quickly, which is why um seed companies and, and uh, you know big box stores put it in blends, even though they know it's going to die. It'll get a quick germination, and the customer, the homeowner who doesn't know any better, is going to go, "Oh, it germinated and it's looking good." Meanwhile, the other seeds in the blend are probably what you're looking for for long term, like tall fescue or bluegrass or whatever and so while that quick germination occurred the customer the homeowner might be content because they're seeing it um, but the real the value of the blend is probably in the other seeds the bluegrass and the tall fescues that will be there for a very long time but those take a very long time to germinate um you know tall fescue in my on a, on a normal september it would take 10 to 14 days to germinate i seeded mine early because i wanted to wanted to seed it when the soils were still warm and i got germination in about six or seven days which is still probably twice as long as as ryegrass would germinate okay bluegrass is even slower than that so bluegrass could take you know a long time to germinate and so you don't really want to wait with bluegrass or tall fescue to germinate in october november if you don't have to Okay, perennial ryegrass seeded on September 1, produced commercially acceptable cover 90% on December 1. Seeding perennial ryegrass in October did not produce commercially acceptable stand by December 1, but plots filled in quickly following the spring in both years of the study. Okay, and that's down here, I think. Um, Where's perennial ryegrass? Right here. So perennial ryegrass, the graphs for perennial ryegrass are here. It's the same graphs as you saw just a minute ago for um, bluegrass. Now this is perennial ryegrass that we're looking at here. Let's see if i can get it on the screen a little bit better I'm having difficulty with this today i'll have to just zoom out a little bit i'll just zoom out so this graph right here is what i'm talking about over let's see if i can um yeah i can't i can't i'm talking about this graph right here okay so you can see here that the fiesta uh, perennial ryegrass it seeded in uh, september uh, germinated sem- quickly and, and and was able to grow in by december 1st quicker just like the bluegrass did but we see a much higher germination rate on the on the ryegrass than we did on the bluegrass um, and but you also see uh the all of them had grown in regardless of whether you seeded in september october november all of them had grown in to acceptable limits by june of the pre of the following year the first in the first study in the second study you see a lot more fluctuation but you still see much greater establishment rates of perennial ryegrass than you did in the bluegrass so if you wait with perennial ryegrass it's not necessarily as detrimental or concerning as it was with with bluegrass which is slower to germinate Histor- you know generally it's slower to germinate okay but still there's benefits to applying perennial ryegrass in september compared to october november december early on okay so if you want to get the seed down and you want to see some establishment before christmas you need to do it in september you don't need to be wait until october There really is a profound um slowing of the germination and establishment by waiting that extra month It, it, it you don't unless you have to do it don't do it in this case they're saying sometimes you have to do it what happens if you have to do it in this case it'll still grow in eventually okay let's go back up to the text tall fescue must be seeded in early september to achieve commercially acceptable cover before winter and the best turf cover of the the following year figure five so now we're going to go down here to figure five which is the next one which is this one right here now we're talking about tall fescue in this graph so now you see the difference between perennial ryegrass on the left and tall fescue on the right, okay? And you can see the difference in, in bluegrass up here. You see the difference in bluegrass, which was much slower to germinate in the second year, even in the first year, than the other grasses, okay? So this uh, tall fescue here is what generally I'll deal with with homeowners. You can see that if seeded in September, you're, again, you're good in December, but if you wait till October, that extra month really does slow things down before the onset of winter, okay, May you know, the first year we did see eventually it eventually did full co- have full coverage in regardless of the month you seeded by July. So if you had to wait with tall fescue again, you're st- like the other grasses, you're still going to have some decent establishment the following year. This the second year saw a lot more fluctuation in the months. Okay, so there there's, there's going to be variability year to year. You might get full coverage you might not get full coverage but there's a pretty good chance that even if you wait you'll still have acceptable coverage whether you're using perennial rye tall fescue or bluegrass you'll still probably end up getting decent coverage even if you wait those until those later months okay so this is sort of like an oh oh whoops i messed up i didn't seed early enough now if what happens if i seed late well if you seed late you're probably still okay, but you're going to have to wait, you know, until June or July or August of the of the following year before it finally catches up to what would have occurred if you seeded in September. Okay, so that's the seeding date stuff, and that's all good and important and all that stuff. But what I'm interested in is the fertile, <laughs> fertility. <laughs> so, um and here you actually here you can see the value of 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 for crabgrass um establishment as well you don't want we don't want crabgrass right so let's go to the crab. crabgrass population rated in august were lowest following seeding in september and highest following seeding in April and May. So here's a detrimental effect. They're saying that uh the here's September, the same same scale, September, October, November, and here's Kentucky bluegrass, perino, ryegrass, and tall fescue. And you can see the white line of September, the white bar of September. And you know, it goes it goes further. So up. So each bar is the next month they apl- they seeded or sowed the seed. Okay. And you can see the presence of crabgrass is substantially higher biologically and statistically if you wait those into those months. So early seeding provides a bit of competition for the other seeds that are already in the soil like crabgrass to come in and start taking over. So that's an additional benefit to seeding early. Okay. You're going to have, lo- you very likely have lower crabgrass infestation than if you wait. Okay, so now we get to the fertilizer study, and you can see we're already done. There's only two more paragraphs. <laughs> it's very short, but I highlighted the whole thing. Make sure you can see. It. Okay. There were no significant interactions between seeding date and nitrogen or phosphorus treatments, data not shown. So it didn't matter what date you went out with the fertilizer there was no one there was it didn't the the response was the same okay so what response was that (laughs) let's read data throughout 1990-91 revealed large effects of seeding date on establishment but no agronomically important effects from the fertilizer treatments so where have we heard that before okay the fertility of the silt loam soil Of the research site may have been high enough to mask the response of added nutrients. Let's just finish this and I'll go back. Turner and Waddington 83, which is a paper we already covered, reported that P applications to seed beds are most beneficial when soils are inherently low in phosphorus and phosphorus phosphorus soil test levels as low as 60 kilograms per hectare, so that'd be around 30 parts per million, around that number will allow seedlings to develop normally when rapid establishment is not needed phosphorus levels in our soils were 90 so they're saying their soil was already very fertile had phosphorus levels in excess of what prior research has suggested was was needed their levels were already higher than that and adding more didn't help okay and so i know that um i know that we've sort of been indoctrinated into believing you need to apply a starter fertilizer even you'll see it even in research papers where we were doing a study and we're growing it in for we're doing a study on something else let's say i don't know what it would be say uh, species differences or whatever and so we planted we, we got the soil ready we got the area ready and we added a starter fertilizer to all to all the whole study area before seeding meanwhile the study area had, you know, 80 parts per million melee three phosphorus. You didn't, they didn't need to do that. But there's a there's a conviction in a lot of our industry that you must apply starter fertilizer to increase establishment. And I don't know where that comes from, but but there clearly is are there clearly are papers that show that. But those are on almost always on low phosphorus soils. Okay. On soils that in this case they're saying from turner waddington saying that it's less than 30 parts per million i think i don't know if that was malik 3 or or bray I, i think that was Bray too i can't but i can't remember we you can go back and look at that video but they're in the 30 to 40 part per million range and they're not seeing a response to adding phosphorus in terms of any benefit to turf establishment okay so I've said this before and maybe in a different way, but it really should be nu- nutrition and turf grass really should be to opt out, of, not opt to, to opt in into fertilizer. In other words, you don't apply anything at all and then you opt in to applying nutrients whenever you have a good reason. And the good reason is not, well, I'm seeding, so I need to apply a starter fertilizer. That That's a really bad reason. <laughs> that's a horrible reason. <laughs> that's an indoctrinated uh reason (laughs) okay the reason should be that you have prior to seeding you've taken a soil test and the soil test indicates you have very low phosphorus i don't i don't like soil testing but um in cases where the turf grass isn't growing well it's valuable okay and in this case there's no turf grass growing so you don't know whether it's going to grow well or not you have no idea because there's no turf there yet so in that case, you take a soil test. It's useful to see what you're dealing with, and if the phosphorus is as low, say twenty or below on Malik three and even Bray, then you you probably would want to ca- err on the side of caution and apply some phosphorus so that there would w- you wouldn't experience a deficient um, establishment um, response. Okay, but if but really it. The soil test oftentimes is better to show you when not to apply it, but really. So if you have, if you take a soil test and you go, well, how do I interpret this number? Well, if it's 50 or 60, yeah, but you have an extremely good chance of never seeing a phosphorus response during establishment. If it's 50, 60 or higher, Malik 3. And even in this case, Bray, they, ha- they had a 40 on a Bray. Oh, uh, well, they didn't say the soil test extractor, but I'm pretty sure they used Bray. They had a 40 on a Bray. And didn't see any benefit to applying fertilizer so economically if you're a capitalist like i hope we all are <laughs> economically you're losing money by buying fertilizer and putting it out environmentally you're increasing the risk by buying fertilizer and putting out when you don't need to okay so it's a win-win in both scenarios whether or not you which hat, whichever hat you wear whether you're an environmentalist or a capitalist i'm not saying you can't be both but you know phosphorus doesn't need to be applied during establishment unless the soil phosphorus is already low okay that's and this is another paper showing that okay and next week we're going to show another two or three papers that essentially say the same thing there's, there's a paper uh i think it was in pennsylvania where they did start a fertilizer work and did this found the same thing and <laughs> nothing happens okay because their soil phosphorus was already sufficient okay so let's let's do this the last paragraph summary august or september is the optimum time to establish cool season grasses make make a good statement like that guys and gals whenever you're writing papers if that's what your results found then say it you don't need to be ambiguous in the conclusions if your conclusions if the results and the data support it Make a firm statement, and I know it's not easy, and I know you know you don't feel comfortable sometimes making such a strong claim, and all these things, and you know you want to be able to, you know, work your way out of it if something strange happens, and I understand that, but if your results show that August and September were, were uh, resulted in greater establishment rates by December, then just say that, and that's what they do here. August and September is the optimum time to establish cool season grasses. Now, you might want to, you know, uh, you know, contextualize that saying, you know, in Indiana with these grasses, you know, but, you know, be, be, be confident that, you know, if you make a statement like that, just have the data support it in, in this paper. Dormant seeding Kentucky bluegrass and tall fescue in November, December or March will hasten establishment compared with spring seeding. Okay late fall or dormant seeding perennial ryegrass might not be justified because of winter kill potential varying the rate of nitrogen and phosphorus applied to the seedbed on fertile soils did not affect establishment regardless of seeding date okay so um we're going to go back to this back to me now so <clears throat> those conclusions are I like those conclusions. As long as you have the results and the data support the conclusions, I don't see anything wrong with making firm statements and conclusions. You just you got to you know you got to frame it correctly so that the people understand that you're not talking about all cool season grasses on the entire planet. I mean, it's within the boundaries of this study, uh, is what are what they found and in what they found, August and September is the best time to seed. And applying nitrogen and phosphorus in this case on these soils on and these turf grasses didn't help. Remember, the soil phosphorus level was for around 40 parts per million on I think it was Bray. Okay. So if you have a similar situation, you're in the Midwest, in Indiana, you're seeding these grasses, go out now and get them out now. Don't wait. You know, stop what you're doing. If you want to seed tall fescue and blue bluegrass or rye or whatever, there is a benefit to getting them out now. But if you, for some reason, can't do it or your tractor broke or whatever the case is, you can't physically do it. And you have to wait until you get the equipment back running again, or you have time in your schedule to go out there and get the round done. You can still do it. just make sure that you inform your clientele that I'm doing this in October or I'm doing this in November, make sure that you set the expectations with them that you, your neighbor across the street seated in September, their lawn's going to look a little bit more full filled uh, filled in relative to yours. But there's a really good chance, very likely, that given given the spring and given until june or july both your lawns are going to be fine it's not something to lose you know sleep over it's still going to grow in it's just going to grow in a little slower oh mr landscape professional you guys aren't applying any phosphorus or nitrogen to my soils yes that's right because we already took a soil test your phosphorus is so high you don't need to apply phosphorus Okay, and I don't know if you're legally allowed to do that in all cases where if the phosphorus is high, can you still apply it? I don't know. But if they say if they say, well, I know it's high, but I still want you to apply phosphorus as long as you can legally do it. Okay, I wouldn't do it. But as long as you can legally apply phosphorus, even in locations where the phosphorus has already been documented to be sufficient, well, you just need to let her know. Your, your client i say her you're whoever the homeowner no I, I this is what i do it's like okay i'll charge you for it <laughs> i'll here's what it's going to cost you 50 bucks or 100 bucks to apply this whatever the number you charge them for them i'm just letting you know that on my in my opinion you're probably not going to see any benefit to applying this it's going to cost you money and you're probably not going to see anything for it but if you want me to do it this is what it costs So this information to me is very practical because you can set the expectations to your clientele and have confidence in it based upon data, you know, based upon good reasons. Okay. Um, So that's sort of the take home message from this. So this is the last day for this week. This is Thursday. Uh, I'll be back on on Monday. Next week, we have uh, uh, four papers. I'm going to open them up real quick. We have a couple minutes left here. So next week, I'm going to be talking again about, I'm going to talk about the influence of phosphorus in starter fertilizers on the establishment of tall fescue. A little bit what we talked about today, but another paper that was published just three or four years ago. I'm going to talk about phosphorus responses, how they vary among cool season turf grasses from a paper published in 2014. And then another paper just published this last week or month on assessing the fertilizer and pesticide inputs and in needs of cool season turf grasses. So next week is... A lot of cool season grass, a lot of phosphorus, a lot of established, still we're still staying with this um, same theme. We may get to a warm season grass. I would like to get to a warm season grass uh, paper. I have it here, but I can't seem to get to it because there's so many good papers on cool season grasses in front of it. Uh, but that's the plan for next next week. I probably will do, I'll do Monday, Tuesday in the morning, and I probably will do the Wednesday evening um, uh, broadcast. It seemed like that went well last night. So I'll I'll see if I'll do that for a week or two and see if it if it works for everybody and if we have more uh, people that are able to participate okay so look forward to that next week monday tuesday regular hours and then wednesday uh we'll do an evening oh there's one question in the, in the chat before i go from looney would there be any negative effects with seeding kentucky bluegrass in august um well the paper that this this particular paper seeded kentucky bluegrass in the beginning of the paper it says "In fact, let me just go back to it i'm sorry i missed that question early on um the beginning of the paper it says the optimum time for seeding cool season gr- turf grasses is mid-august through september okay so it depends on where you are Looney. if you are i'll say for me in lexington i don't, I don't know where you are Looney. i apologize for not knowing that but for me in um in lexington i know i know what i'm doing with turf grasses okay so i seed sometimes at the first of august i've done it as as early as late july but that comes with a lot of risks okay i i i but i I know how to manage those risks and i'm willing to accept the consequences if i fail so is there are there any consequences to seeding in in august there are if you have a break in your water line or if you have an unseasonably long hot spell in August after germination, so let's say it, because it'll germinate quick in August. I, I like seeding early because I want to get it seed in the ground when the soils are still warm, and the idea being it can germinate, and then as it germinates, it'll the the temperature will hopefully start to cool off after it germinates, so I can get that quick germinate quicker germination because the soils are so warm. But with that comes some risk. Oh, you're in Canada, Looney. Okay um so so in your case i would say yeah go for it in august i I think you'd be better served in august probably um but you have to be willing to put up with the and and pythium that's where i was going lush so up here i seeded my lawn um the first week of august with tall fescue i had a little section out here where i had to remove a tree and it germinated really fast i think it was six days it was germinated. it was super fast for tall fescue Six about a week after that, it got Pythium. Okay, and I'm not going to go out and buy a $250 jug of uh, a fungicide to take care of Pythium. Okay, um, so I had to reseed that area that got Pythium because it was so hot. All right, now my neighbor who I also seeded his lawn, he was on vacation and he came back two weeks after, and I seeded his lawn two weeks after my lawn. And it was super hot. It was like 90, 95 degrees here in Lexington when we seeded it. The next week, it dropped 10 degrees. And since then, it's barely got up to 80 here in Lexington. So he hit it perfect. He's had no pythium. The the heat that that resulted um, in the pythium in my lawn had already declined, and there was no longer any um, pythium around. The conditions had changed. And so he's been great. His lawn's looked fantastic. Whereas mine got hit with Pythium because I seeded a week or two early. Okay, so with that comes risk of disease. Some diseases it comes risk of like if it if for some reason you have an abnormal year and and it's say you seed in on August one, and for some reason it's it's an abnormal year and it stays above ninety out into the end of August. Your your grass has been there for now a week or two after it germinated in this extreme heat. So you have to be willing to manage that in terms of. Potential fungicide applications and, and make sure you're managing the water properly in order to keep the grass alive until it cools off. Okay. Um. So, yeah, so that, that, so, oh, Aldo's here too. Okay. So, yeah, exactly. So I like seeding in August. Okay. Because it, I think it gives me another week or two before dormancy in December. And that extra week or two, as this paper just showed, this extra week or two down here, where's the, where's the tall fescue? This extra week or two, this is all, This is September 1, this bar graph, it gives me a lot more establishment before December. This is December. This gives me almost 100% establishment by December. Well, if I seed, this was in September, and then he rated it in December. If I seed a week or two into August, <clears throat> you know, well, this is actually showing you don't need to because you're still going to be 85 90% in December 1. But if I seed a week or two into August, I can. I feel I can get that extra week. But it comes with risk, yes. <clears throat> it does come with risk of of disease and i feel potential uh catastrophic failure of the grass primarily due to heat stress on those young seedlings if you're not able to properly manage the water this is all my opinion by the way i'm not showing me any papers on this let me go back to me so this is just my opinion on my experience and my knowledge of the literature that i go out and i and i can do i i feel i can manage it properly to avoid those risks as best i can but even knowing what i was doing I still got Pythium this year because, I mean, it's not 95 degrees in Lexington every day, guys. Lexington is not a location that gets super hot. Okay. It can, but this year it's been nice and mild, very cool. And then when I seeded, it stayed hot. <laughs> and I got it. I got it. I got nailed. It wasn't very big. It was only a couple little, you know, circles of it, but it it, it got um, damaged. In fact, I have a photo of it here somewhere. Maybe I can share that on Discord, but... Um, Last question or last comment, also seeding early helps with decline in sunlight and leaf litter later in season. Yeah, that's a good point, Lush, because I I took, those of you who don't, I haven't really shared this with a whole lot of people, but I live on 0.3 acres. And then in the last five years, I've removed 30 trees from from that 0.3 acres. So I essentially had 100% shade in my lawn. And because of those trees, I would get, I would get, I really couldn't grow grass cause there was no light, <clears throat> but I got so much leaf litter and the leaves right now in Lexington, this is or this is September 21st, first day of, uh, of, oh it's the first day of, of fall. The leaves are already changing. Some of the leaves are already falling, but I, I, and I've removed 30 trees from my property and I still have six left. And the, And one of the trees is a, is probably an 80 or 90 year old elm tree and it, so it, it has a lot of leaves on it and it's starting to fall. And I'll still have, even now, I still have leaf litter starting to fall that is um, going to result in a reduction in light at some point. If, when it gets heavy enough, if I don't clean them up, if I don't blow them off, that, that reduction in light due to the, the leaf litter is, is something to consider um, in germination. So that's an excellent point, Lush, is that waiting later, if you have leaf litter on the ground, you're going to have poor seed to soil contact. And if you do get the seed down, the leaf, if in my case, I would have so many leaves that you can forget mulching them. It, there was just so many. You can mulch all day long and it would still be just, it was so much leaves that you couldn't get the, gra- the, the leaves to grow, the, the new seedlings to really grow through it. It was inhibiting growth and due to the massive amount of reduction of sunlight, just because there was so many leaves on it. Now that's an extreme case, Okay. I had, an, I had an extreme case in my lawn where there was just too much, um, but waiting longer, you do start running into the leaf litter fall when you're when you're you know in anywhere other than Florida or California or Southern California or Southern Texas or whatever. And the, in the majority of the rest of the United States, where where everybody else lives, we do have a leaf litter that's starting right now in Lexington. The leaves are starting to fall right now, and it's going to continue probably for the next month. So. That's that's a good point to to keep in mind, Lush. Okay, guys, good questions, good comments. Thank you all for showing up. Sorry, I had a little bit of uh, IT problems at the beginning of the of the broadcast this this morning. I have no idea what happened, but I had to unplug everything, plug it back in. Now we're working. Okay. Um, <clears throat> yeah, measure. Don't get me wrong. So Lush's comment don't don't get me don't get me wrong. We will be seeding c- into next week, Southeast Mass. Oh, you're in Southeast Massachusetts, but just measure expectations with you. Yeah, and that, that that can't really be overstated, or stated heavily enough. Lush is that. I, I just got my gutters changed the other day because I had I had a tree fall in my house, and there was a problem with the gutter when the the new one they put on. But the the owner came here and explained to me this is what happened. This is this is why this occurred. We're going to fix it. It's going to take a week or two, but we're going to come back. So now my expectations are fine. I, I'm fine with the situation because she set my expectations. And I'm going to expect her to do that and everything's going to be fine. It's the same thing with grass. As long as the homeowner understands, in my opinion, they're more likely to be accepting of whatever comes their way. As long as they understand you got it, you understand the situation, you're working on it, you understand the limitations if you wait, you understand the the risks if you go early and, and she makes the decision, the homeowner makes the decision, yes, go now or no, wait. Yes, I want to buy fertilizer and put it out or no, I don't. It, they, ultimately it's their decision is assuming everything's you know legal to do um but give them the best ex, best information you can and then you know their expectations should be you know okay to work within it's it's critical so customer expectations um are huge regardless of any turf any industry you're in as long as they understand what you're what what you're doing and why you're doing it and it makes good sense then you're you're good hopefully this information helped today in terms of dates of seeding basically seed early high phosphorus soils fertile soils you're going to have minimal benefit to applying any starter fertilizer so be sure to take a soil test on on in areas that you're seeding that you don't have any prior knowledge of or you don't have any prior numbers with and if the numbers are high don't worry about putting down phosphorus if the numbers are low also be aware you probably you might not see a response but you have a better chance of seeing response when the soil phosphorus levels are low okay keep that in mind have a good weekend guys i'll be back here on monday morning we're going to be going over some more establishment uh, fertility stuff until then we really appreciate you guys showing up participating in the chat it means a lot to me have a great weekend see you guys then bye